Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. All right, well, we're going to uh, we're gonna carry on with the Jesus trip. And I uh, remember last week we were talking about the kingdom of God. Who got blessed by that? I thought that was amazing. You know, the kingdom of God is one of those, uh, it, it was basically Jesus' message. He came and he brought a message about the kingdom of God. It's got to be something that's in all of our wheelhouses, right? He brought the kingdom. And funnily enough, the only thing that, uh, the, the thing that he talked second most about was money. The kingdom of God and money. So I was really blessed by last week. I, I, I thought it was great. And uh, we've been doing the Jesus trip, working our way through the Bible. We finally got to the point where Jesus himself actually shows up in flesh and blood. And uh, it, like, like Gord said, if you're doing your reading and you've fallen behind a little bit, just, just jump right in. Just jump in at October 27. 27. Jump in there. And uh, that'd be a good spot to start. But uh, we've looked at the life of Jesus, and, and we've talked about the miracles of Jesus. We talked about the parables of Jesus. Basically, the message of Jesus was the kingdom. And uh, today, we're at that point where uh, Jesus is getting ready to, to die on the cross. He's getting ready, ready to do that. And uh, what I'm going to talk to you about today is from uh, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. And it all just kind of uh, fits together as, as one, one event, one, one night in the life of Jesus. It's, uh, I believe this, I'm really excited about this. I, I believe this is probably one of the most clear and concise descriptions of who Jesus is, of who God is, and what he wants from us and what he's given to us in the whole of the Bible. I mean, I think as we, we read more and more of the New Testament, we're going to see uh, Paul and Peter and John referring to some of the, the truths that we find in, uh, in these couple chapters that Jesus uh, basically just spent one night, one dinner with his disciples and poured out his heart to them. So I just want to set the scene for a little bit. We've seen Jesus wandering around doing miracles. We've seen him teaching the crowds. We've seen him interacting with people and just revealing who God is to people in everyday life. I love that he, he's not afraid to just like enter into the synagogue, enter into the marketplace, just go into everything, any, anything and everything to do with normal human life. He showed up there. He popped up in there and he revealed God in the normal and the ordinary of life. I love that. So he, he's, we've been watching him do this. In, in the course of the Bible, it's probably a couple of years now that Jesus has been actively involved in public ministry. And we've gotten to the point in the reading now where the triumphal entry has happened. He's been making his way through the countryside to Jerusalem. And uh, he gets there. There's big crowds, big celebrations. They're throwing the palm branches down, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna. And a big celebration to the coming king. And then he, he has this really, really trying week. Do you remember in, in, in Exodus when the, uh, the, the Passover lamb, the Passover lamb had to be brought into the family home and, and, and lived with them for a little while. And basically that lamb was, was uh, being inspected. And then you'd take your lamb and you'd take it to the, to the priest and the priest would look at the lamb and, and look, at, look at it for defects and for faults because it had to be a perfect and a pure, a spotless, blemishless lamb. So Jesus enters into the, the city of God. He enters into Jerusalem. And for a week, for a few days, he spends being interrogated, 
tested and tried, poked and prodded by the religious leaders, trying to find a flaw in him that they can finally pin something on him to get him crucified. So, so they, they try and trap him with, with religious questions. Like some smarty pants comes up and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Another one comes and says, well, what about the resurrection? What, what, what's going on there? Trying to trap him into saying something that the crowds are going to disagree with and that they can say, see, I told you he was a false teacher. Or, or this one, is it right to pay taxes? They're trying to get, him, get, the, get, get the, the authorities angry with him. So they're trying to trap him. I, I don't think he had a good time for that week. I mean, I think it was probably a lot of fun showing up and everybody's like, Jesus, yes, awesome, king, glory, amazing. And then he just gets constantly harassed by these people, trying to poke him and prod him into a mistake, into saying something awful. But Jesus is the sinless, perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God. He didn't say anything wrong. He didn't put a foot wrong. He didn't act wrong. He didn't fly off the handle in impatience. He was perfectly loving, peaceful, full of joy, and totally able to manifest the life and the love of God with no fault, no defect, no imperfection, even under the, the, the pressure and the stress of constant, constant harassment. So this is the, this is the environment that this whole story takes, uh, takes place in. And, and it's coming up to the Passover celebration. And Jesus, he, I think he's just like, man, I, I've got a, an awful day coming up. He knows that he's going to get crucified. And I think he just, he just wants to spend some time with his friends. He just wants to, to spend some time with his closest friends and his disciples, and he knows he's about to die. He knows he's going to resurrect, and he knows he's going to you know, go up and ascend to the Father. And, and he wants to make sure that the, the three years were worthwhile. He wants to make sure that his disciples got it. He's like, I have a message. I've been trying to communicate something. And so he's got this last night, and I think he's just kind of like, all right, I just I need to get away with my friends. I need to communicate something of my heart to them. I need to share what's deeply motivating me so that they can take up my cause and move on after I'm gone. So he says to Peter and John, he says, you guys run ahead. Go prepare a room for us because I, I just want to have dinner with you. I want to celebrate this, fa this, this, uh, this Passover meal with you guys. So they go ahead, they, they, they organize this, this room, and they get everything ready. And then imagine the scene. Jesus shows up, they, they arrive at the room, Peter and John are already there, they're welcoming Jesus and the other disciples in, they're welcoming the family in. And then uh, Jesus, he just randomly, just, I mean, th th this was a job assigned to somebody, but Jesus is almost like, pushes that person out of the way. And, uh, and it says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come, he was going to leave the world and return to the Father. He loved his disciples in his life and in his ministry, and he loved them even to the very end. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and that he would return to God. So he got up from the table, he took off his robe, he wrapped a towel around his waist, he poured water into a basin, and he started to wash the disciples' feet drying them with the towel he had. Isn't that amazing? You see this scene? All these people are getting ready for dinner. There's somebody's job to, to wash feet, and you got to get cleaned up before you eat. Always a good idea. Tell my kids, go wash your hands. Maybe it was their dirty sandals. I don't know, but you need clean feet to eat, apparently. But Jesus takes it upon himself to do that lowliest of jobs. And it says in John that he did this to set an example for his disciples. See, so much of, of, of leading and inspiring is about serving and about setting an example. 
So Jesus, it wasn't beneath him to show up and say, you know what, I'm not asking anything from you that I'm not doing myself. In fact, what you've seen in me, I want you to go and replicate it, which is amazing. And he says, you know what, don't, don't confuse this situation here. Don't get me wrong. You know, that's usually the job of a servant. Don't, don't, don't think that I'm not Lord and I'm not teacher. John 13, verses 13 and 14, he says, you say I'm teacher and I'm Lord. And you're right. I totally am. Don't, don't get this situation, you know, mixed up in your head. But I, as your Lord and your teacher, I've washed your feet. You ought to go and wash each other's feet. Right off the bat, Jesus wants these people. I mean, he's picked this night to reveal everything that's important to him, to make sure that they get the message. And right off the bat, right at the start of this night, Jesus wants them to understand, hey, you know what? You're going to see some stuff in the next couple of days. You're probably going to be traumatized by what you see happen to me. And afterwards, you're going to get to be a part of some pretty amazing stuff too. But don't get caught off guard. You're going to see me suffer. But it's not because I'm not the Lord. It's precisely because I am the Lord. Because I am your servant. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Lord and teacher, took it upon himself to serve humanity by giving up his life as a ransom for all of us. That's amazing. He wants them to understand, hey, you know what? My lordship and my authority, it's not diminished by service, even by laying down my life. And I think he wanted to set an example for them and let them know, you know what? You're going you're gonna to be part of this kingdom. You're going to be kings too. You're going to be sons and daughters of God Almighty. And you know what? When that happens, this is what it's going to look like for you too. The servant's not above his master. If the master takes the towel and serves, so do you. So, so be okay with that. And I love how the Bible, it says Jesus, he, he knew that his hour had come. He knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given him authority. And he knew that he, where he came from and he knew where he was going. See, there's a, there's a big pursuit about identity. Do you, know what, do you know what real identity looks like? When you know this is who I am, I'm loved by you. This is who I am. This is who I am. I'd sing it for you, but you'd all leave. But <laughs> reference to the song, in case you didn't know. You know what identity looks like? It looks like taking a towel and being willing to do the things that nobody else wants to do. It looks like taking a position of service and spending your strength and your energy on, on making other people better, on experience or on, you know, pushing up the experience of other people. It looks like honoring people and being willing to do those things. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, willing to get on his knees and clean people's dirty toes. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been a part of a, there are, there are church denominations out there that do this, uh, like on like Thursday where you actually wash each other's feet and it's really, really gross. But a lot of people who I know who've done it have said it's really, really powerful to have somebody else touch your feet like that. And, and Jesus, King of Kings, does that. So good. So good. So authority, power, what it looks like to live in identity, what it looks like to live a powerful life. Jesus wants the disciples to know you're going to serve. You're going to lay down your life for other people. And this is just at the beginning of the meal. Like the meal hasn't even started yet. It's, a, it's, 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 a, it's an action-packed, information-loaded uh, loaded meal. So fast forward a little bit. And uh, just because there's so much crammed into these chapters, but just, just fast forward, whatever you think it looks like, picture Jesus and his disciples, they're all sitting around a table, maybe they got a blanket on the floor, I, I don't know how they did it, but they're sitting around something, and uh, just imagine, maybe Jesus says to Peter, maybe he says to Philip, hey, pass me, pass me that bread over there, pass me the, I'll take the butter too, come on. So he passes it over, and then he takes the bread, 
Jesus just randomly, nobody had, there's no precedent for this. Nobody knows what he's going to do. But he takes the bread while they're eating, and he, he blesses it. Then he broke it, it says in Mark chapter 14, and he gave pieces of it to his disciples. He passed it out around the table. Here you go, guys. And he says, take this. This is my body given for you. And he took a cup of wine and he blessed it. He gave thanks to God. He gave it. He passed it out. And he said, hey, have a drink, everybody. Have a drink. And he says, that bread and that wine, that's going to mean something significant to you guys. This wine, this is, this is my blood, which confirms a covenant between God and people. And it's going to be poured out as a sacrifice for everybody. And in this little exchange, this awkward moment at dinner where everybody thought, oh, Jesus just likes the, I don't know, the, the ciabatta or whatever. Jesus establishes this thing, this, this thing that would become the cornerstone, a sacrament in the church for, for thousands of years called communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And in these short sentences, Jesus, he reframes the whole of his disciples' expectations, and he reorientates the whole basis of their relationship with God away from performance of external covenant-keeping behaviors and rituals to a, to a life of faith in the redemptive power of the sacrifice that he was, gonna, was about to make and the power of that sacrifice to put their lives right and to establish them in right relationship with God, free from all guilt and all shame. And he does this just over dinner. He just passed me the bread. Give me the wine. I want you to think totally different. Your whole concept of covenant, I want you to think completely different about it. Now I'm going to take both sides. I'm going to do the human side, and I'm going to do the God side. You don't have to worry about a thing. This covenant now is established in my blood and with my body. Amazing. Hey, isn't that good news? Praise God. In one short conversation, he institutes the words of communion. And, 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 and I, I think this is a point worth noticing, but through the, through the sacrifice and the pain that he was about to experience, he brought us back into relationship with the Father. He reorientated our thinking about who God was and helped us to understand God loves us. He's really for us. I can open my heart to him and I can trust him. And the backdrop of what Jesus did in restoring this relationship, ironically, was great personal pain great personal relational pain. Think about it. He got betrayed by somebody who sat at his table. It was somebody close to him. It was somebody, he said, who's going to dip their bread in the same little dip as me. That person. That guy's going to, that guy is so close to me. We're sitting together. You know what Jesus did with Judas? Actually, is amazing. Judas was a thief, the Bible tells us. So do you know what Jesus did? Trusted him with the money. Wow. That's crazy, eh? Jesus has so much faith in us, and he gives us all the opportunities and all the chances that we need. So good. So good. I love the way Jesus leads. Jesus doesn't point out faults, and he doesn't say, hey, you can't do this, and you can't do that. He doesn't say, ah, your limitations and your weaknesses, they limit you. He says, no, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So he takes a hold of Judas and says, you got a problem with money. Look after the money. Didn't work out. But who knows that this is what Jesus does again and again. And there was forgiveness and there was grace for, for Judas even. The problem with Judas is he couldn't handle it. He didn't want it. He thought he'd take his redemption into his own hands, which is no good. Don't do it. So it's amazing. Jesus, he's, he's reorientating in this little dinner. And as he pours out his heart to his disciples, he's reorientating their views and their expectations about covenant. 
and the basis of their own relationship with God, the basis for blessings and covenant promises and what that looks like. He's trying to help these guys realize that real success, real dominion in life, living as a son and a daughter of God, manifesting the power and the authority of God, what that looks like is taking a towel. It looks like service. It looks like being willing to be the least. Now, if you had one night One night to communicate to the people who are closest to you, your life lessons, your priorities, and the things that you would like them to take hold of and carry on with, what would you do? What would you say? Jesus wanted them to get this, so much so that he demonstrated it. And the amazing thing to me about this, I love the disciples, and I love that Jesus, he's got this history with these 12 people who constantly don't get it and who keep making mistakes. And then 50 days later, after his resurrection, he entrusts the future of the whole church to them. He gives them the power of the Holy Spirit and says, here you go, go spread my cause. Isn't that amazing? These people are constantly getting it wrong. Well, they get it wrong again at this last night. Jesus is trying to tell them what the new covenant looks like. It's going to be in my blood. And you'd think he would stop and say, wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. I don't deserve this. I'll take it. I should take up the towel and serve other people. But the disciples, they decide to get into a fight over who's going to be the greatest. Somehow they thought this would be a good time to, you know, bump shoulders and push each other around and say, I'm going to be the best. How did you so misinterpret that? Oh, my goodness. So Jesus says to them, you know what? In this world, the kings of the world and the great men, they lord it over people. But among you, it's going to be different. Those who are greatest among you, you're going to take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves the people who are sitting at the table? It's clearly the one who sits at the table, right? Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. I am Lord. I am teacher. And I think he's communicating this. He wants them to get it, but he also wants wants them to understand the the, the sufferings and the pain and the trauma that they're going to see him go through. That's not actually a defeat. That's, that's how God exercises his authority. That's how he, he came to have authority and dominion and conquest over the devil. He gave his life up. He subjected himself to those forces that were uh, trying to kill and rob and destroy from us. He let himself experience it all for us so that we wouldn't have to. Isn't that amazing? That's leadership. That's the, that's the lordship of Jesus Christ in action. Laying down his life and giving it up for others. So then, he's messing with their minds. He's, he's giving them some new things to think about. He's laying it out clearly for them. And then he gets a little bit crazier. He says, you know what, guys? At this time, there's 613 different rules in Judaism. And, and, and basically what he says to them is, you, you know those commandments, all of them, that tell you to either do something or not do something else? He says, basically, what I want you to do, just go ahead and rip that all up. Don't worry about it. Let it go. That belonged to an old time, to an old dispensation. There's a new covenant. And with that new covenant, there's a new commandment. There's something new. A new commandment for a new covenant. He says, you know what? I'm just going to be with you for a little bit longer, so let me, let me just lay it out for you. Real simple, nice, easy terms. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new one. Here it is. Ready? Love each other just as I have loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. How revolutionary. How amazing. 
I mean, we've read the Old Testament. We've seen all those rules and all those laws. We've seen people try to be right with God on the basis of what they do and how well they perform and how the whole religious ceremonies and systems and rituals happen. And Jesus says, you know what? You might have thought that reflected who God really is, but I'll tell you what, I've got a different priority for you, and it's love. All that you thought you've ever known, guys, about relationship with God, forget about it. I'm instituting tonight a new covenant. I'm going to keep both ends of the deal. God's and humanity's. Guys, guys, there's, there's redemption. There's complete forgiveness. There's restoration of life, of identity, and relationship because of my body given for you and my blood shed for you. And then it's like he's saying to them, guess what else, guys? This is good. Guess what? Forget about all that stuff that you think is important to God in terms of keeping the law, following the rules, making sure your actual lamb is clean and tidy. Don't worry about all that stuff. What's really important is love. The new commandment you have for me is simply this. Love others as I have loved you. This is the new orientation of your heart. And this is the sum total of all of your obligations towards man and towards God now. Love. Just love. It's amazing. Sometimes, you know, Christian life, Christianity, you read books, all that stuff, it can can sound so complicated and so confusing. I mean, even the Bible sometimes. I mean, you can open it up and you you can just pick pick apart where Jesus is speaking. You'd be like, man, I don't understand how this makes sense. And Jesus just lays it all out for his disciples. Isn't it funny in the Last Supper, he didn't try to reiterate some of the, the parables or say, hey, remember when I did that miracle? When he wanted to be clear, when he wanted to be concise, he said, this is your duty, love as I have loved you. And you know what? It's not, it's not a love like the, the love that the law demanded, like the love in the old covenant. It's not about you mustering up all of your heart's resources, your mind's capacities, your physical strength, or your soulless energies. See, the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And if you buy into that as a, as a product of the law, if you try to love people by keeping rules, if you try to love people out of a sense of duty and obligation, because God said I have to, therefore I'm going to try, if that's your approach to love, it's going to be very, very difficult. It's going to grow cold. It's going to be dependent on how well you feel in the moment and whether you actually feel like following through. But Jesus has something so much higher. He says, love as I have loved you. Or in other words, love with the same power of my love working in you. My love is going to be present in you and empower you to love other people. It's totally different. See, the Old Testament gave us uh, commands and rules and said, now do it. Do it in your best strength. Come on, get it done. Grace, the new covenant says, here's the power. Get it done. Here's the power. Have faith and believe. I've empowered you. You can do this. Not I'm going to condemn you if I don't, or if you don't, but I'm giving you power so you can. See, Jesus came to be an example for us as what a, a true thriving human life looks like. But the example that Jesus set for us is what, what human life looks like lived in relationship with the Father. What a, what a truly flourishing, thriving human life looks like is a... It's, it's a life lived, filled, and animated by the Spirit of God, by His power, by His life, His nature. That's what true humanity looks like. That's what we are always designed to do and to be. Not to have a standard that we aspired to, but for Jesus to breathe His breath into us and for us to manifest and live out that connection with the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. So Jesus is an example. He's constantly saying, look at what I'm doing, but understand, 
what I'm doing, what I'm saying. It's not the works of me. It's the works of my Father. The words that I speak and the things that I do, these are the words and the works of the Father. He's constantly pointing them to see, see, see me, but see me as one who's living and expressing the life of another. And that's the great calling of Christianity, to be an expression of the life of Jesus Christ. That's the example that he is for us. So he, he drops all this stuff. He tells his disciples, okay, here you go. That's all awesome. Guess what? I'm going to go. I'm going to leave you now. And Peter's like, where, where are you going? Let me come too. And uh, Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't get it. Where I'm going to go, you can't follow. In other words, he's like, you know what? What I'm going to do, what I'm about to do right now, something only I can do. You can't do it. Nobody else can do it. Just me. Trust me. You believe in God. You trust God. Trust me. You believe in me. What I'm about to do is prepare a place for you in my father's house. And there's so much room there. When it's all ready, I'm going to come and get you. I'm going to bring you to myself. And don't worry, you know the way. You know how to get there. It's amazing. I just, I picture Thomas, Thomas doubting Thomas. He's just like, what? Really? I know the way. What is this way you speak of, Jesus? I don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and then Jesus, he, he gives what I believe is some of the most powerful words utter, ever uttered in human history. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in one swoop, Jesus again destroys all of their connection, all of their emotional and intellectual commitment to the law, to a revelation of God that's distant, that's punitive, that's angry, that's keeping tabs on all your wrongs and only dishing out a few stingy benefits if you measure up. He demolishes all the religious systems, the, the rituals, the lifestyle codes of conduct and behavior. He abolishes all sense of distance between God and humanity. And he says, to, he says to Thomas in that moment, I am the sum total of every true thought you've ever had about God. In me and in my person is all the life that you ever need. And I alone can bring God and humanity together. Amazing stuff. What, I, I wish I was at that dinner party. That's some good stuff. Now, I think, I think Philip, Philip's another interesting guy. He, I think he's the, just, the, just the way my mind works, I see him as the geeky guy in the corner who's hearing this stuff, and he's like, Jesus is saying he's going to bring us together with the Father. And I just see him being so pumped, so excited. And he's like, yes, I'm going to see the Father. This is awesome. This is amazing. Jesus, show us the Father. Show us the way. And, and I think Jesus is just like, Philip, come on, man. Dude, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The words that I speak and the works that I do, those are the words and the works of the Father in me. And you know what? You know what, Philip? You know what, guys? You know what, Peter? John? If you believe in me too, if you believe that I am in you, like I believe, like I know that the Father is in me, you too are going to do the works of God. And you're going to do greater works because I go to the Father. Can you imagine this? This dinner, this is revolutionary. This is amazing. In fact, at the end of the whole dinner, the disciples actually say to Jesus, wow, now we know you. Now you're speaking clearly. Now you're speaking plainly. I mean, he is just putting it all out there. He's letting them all get it. It's amazing. So Jesus, I think he, he gets to the point in this evening where the disciples' minds are blown. He's, he's totally upended their concept of covenant, about what it looks like to reign in life. He's upended their concept of what God wants from people. 
And now I think he's at that point where he has to say, okay, guys, I got, I'm going to tell you how to do this. This is how this is all going to happen. Guess what? This is what I'm going to do for you. This is how I'm going to make it all possible. I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you an advocate. He's going to send you a helper, another one to help you and be with you forever. So another advocate. When Jesus said, I'm going to send you another, that word other actually means exactly the same. Totally like me, completely like me. So Holy Spirit at work in our lives, speaking to us, communicating to us, you can trust him because he is exactly like Jesus. What he wants to do in your life looks pretty similar to what he did through the life of Jesus in the Gospels because he is exactly like Jesus. So this spirit of truth, this advocate, this helper, he said the world can't accept him. It doesn't see him. It doesn't know him. But you know him. He's going to be with you. And get this, he's going to be in you. And he, living inside of you, he's going to be the one who leads you into all truth. He's going to be the one who counsels you. He's going to be the one who reminds you of everything that I told you. He's going to make sense of all of it. He's going to make you alive in your sonship, in being a child of God. You know, sometimes you know, we want to know who we are. We want to understand what it means to live as a child of God. Well, you can expend a lot of mental and emotional energy, or you can say, Holy Spirit, otherwise known as the spirit of adoption, Make the reality of my sonship real to me. And that's one of his jobs. Holy Spirit has been, has been sent to live inside of you and make you aware on the inside that you are, in fact, a kid of God. You belong to him. You're of him. You have his substance and his essence on the inside. And that's one of the things Holy Spirit does inside of you, wakes you up to that fact. He is the spirit of adoption. The word truth, spirit of truth, aletheia, it actually means reality. Sometimes, you know, you want to live in reality. I want to be sober-minded. Holy Spirit can bring you a sense of reality. I mean, I don't know if you just look outside in the world sometimes and you're just like, oh my goodness, there's so much delusion out there. It's, it's all a big lie. What's true? What's not? Holy Spirit can bring you into truth. He can bring you into reality. Holy Spirit, he's going to convince you, he's going to convict you, and he's going to guide you into a true sense of what sin, righteousness, and judgment looks like. Not like how we see it through our own mental filters and our fear and our shame, but what God says about these things. He's going to bring that into your life, and he's going to show you things to come. Did you know one of the jobs of Holy Spirit in your life is to show you the future? That's amazing. That's not for a special select few Holy Spirit is in your life helping you anticipate things and see things ahead of time and make good choices based on a little bit of insight that he might give you. Trick is just recognize it. Know that that's one of the things that he does. He's going to take from what's mine and he's going to give it to you. That's what Jesus said. This is for me the most exciting things. In other words, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, what's going through his mind, what's going through his heart, what he feels right now, Holy Spirit is my connection to the heart and to the mind of God right now. Holy Spirit is going to take the thoughts and the, and the, the personality of Jesus and he's going to translate it to me and he's going to make it make sense to me and help me to live presently aware of what God is thinking and what he's feeling in any given moment. That's amazing. That's the prerogative of, of the children of God. We are one with him, and we get to live in union with his person. That's not just a nice doctrine. That means I get to function in life out of the very heart, the heart, the very emotions, the very thought process of God. I get to share headspace with Jesus Christ. I get to think with his mind because Holy Spirit has been sent 
to manifest the mind of Christ in me. That's so good. So right in the middle of this big discourse, he's like, hey, this is what I'm doing. New covenant, new commandment. Holy Spirit's going to be the one who empowers it and makes it happen. Now I'm going to tell you how to, how to actually live in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This, this is the practical. This is the how-to. I, I can see the disciples on the edge of their seat. This is awesome. This is amazing. Don't know who this Holy Spirit is, but he's going to be in me, and it's going to be great. Now what? How am I going to do this? Give me some handles, Jesus. Make this practical for me. So Jesus says, all right, ready? Here's a picture I want you to keep in your mind. If you keep this picture before you constantly, if you see this, if you see yourself this way and you see me this way, this is going to be really, really beneficial. Ready? Here we go. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is not literally a vine. <laughs> you are not a branch. But if you hold that picture in front of you and you see yourself as vitally connected, as one with him, if you see yourself as a part of him and him as a part of you, you're going to bear fruit. Jesus said in verse 9 of John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, just as I want you to remain in me, I want you to remain in my love. And I love the word remain because it literally means you're already there, so stay there. Don't leave. Get settled. Be okay. Don't be agitated. Rest, relax. Stay in this understanding of yourself as part of me and me as part of you. See, he's not saying you can fall out of me. He's not saying I'm going to leave you or abandon you if you do the wrong thing. Therefore, get really, really anxious and make sure you stay in me. No, when he says stay in me, when he says remain in me and remain in my love, he says remain in a headspace, remain in the consciousness, remain in the belief. Let it be constantly in front of you and before you that we're one, we're tight. I'm in you and my life is flowing through you. Keep this picture in your mind. Don't depart from it. You can't fall out of Jesus, but you can lose the, the emotional and the mental connection with the reality of your union with him. Don't lose that. Don't let that go. Keep it. Keep it. Value it. Protect it. Protect the consciousness of his love inside of you. If you do, you're going to bear fruit. And then Jesus says, you know what? As a, as a fruit of this relationship, as you do this, one of the benefits, one of the prerogatives that you're going to have, one of the, the benefits that's going to happen in your life because of this relationship that I'm giving you with the Father, what I want you to do is I want you to pray. Pray. Go ahead and do it. But when you do it, I want you to do it a little bit differently. I want you to relate to God differently. I want you to approach God differently. You can actually talk to him directly. You talk to God. Don't ask me to do it for you. You don't need a priest anymore. You don't need a prophet. You don't need a spiritual guru. I'm giving you my relationship with the Father. Enjoy it. Take advantage of it. Come boldly before that throne. Go ahead. Pray. Relate to God. Use the connection that I'm giving you with the Father, that the Holy Spirit empowers. And when you do that, when you pray that way, he says, you will get what you ask for. You will. What a dinner. What a night. And I love this about Jesus. The, uh, he just wants to wrap this whole night up in prayer. His connection with his Father is so great, so awesome. His relationship with his God is amazing. He's like, you know what, guys? It's been a great night. Really communicated a whole bunch of great stuff to you. 
We're going to wrap this, little, this whole thing up tonight, but we're going to pray. I want to pray. I love it. I, I love those kind of moments. That spirit of supplication and grace comes upon you, and you just need to pray. I think that gripped Jesus in that moment. He's just poured out his heart. He's just poured out his life vision, his life message to the disciples. And he wants to pray. And I love that throughout the Bible, you constantly see episode after episode of where Jesus invites his disciples in to have a little peek, to experience his relationship with God. I, I think that's amazing. That freaks me out. I'm a total introvert. I don't want to share anything about my life with anybody. <laughs> my wife says true. <laughs> but Jesus constantly, constantly and continuously, he prayed outside the grave. He goes, you know, I'm not praying this for you. I'm not praying for you people, but that they might know. I love that he invites the, the disciples in to hear the prayer that he prays in John 17. And I think that's just a really good lesson. You know, if, if people are meant to be benefited by the joining and the connections of others in the body of Christ, that's how God has established it. Jesus gave us a very good example of that. Don't be afraid to let people into your process. Don't be afraid to let people into the realities of your relationship with God. Don't be afraid to share. Don't be afraid to let other people benefit from the fruit of your connection with Jesus. It's actually a, it, it's a discipleship process. It's an amazing thing. It's like it says Jesus and the church are one, like a husband and a wife. They're one. And their union together is supposed to be a blessing to everyone and to everything else. We're united together with him. So we get to share him, share our relationship. So Jesus says, come on, guys, sit around. I want you to hear my prayer. And he starts to pray in such a way that they can all hear him. They, they can learn from what he's saying. They can learn from his connection with the Father. So he starts to pray. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Jesus, listen to that. I have completed the work you gave me. What an amazing statement. Everything you sent me to do, Father, I did. I completed it. I've revealed you to the ones that you gave me. And as you sent me to do this, as you sent me into the world to set the record straight about who you are, to bring a true revelation of what God is really like, I'm sending them out in the power of our union, in the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of them. I'm sending them out to make us known to the world. Me in them. You in me. It's amazing. He spells this whole thing out. He says, here's a, a new covenant, a new commandment, a new power, a new way to live in service to other people. And then he says, you know what? Just as you've heard me tonight, I've laid it all out for you. I'll put it all down. Now I'm sending you the same way I've been sent. We, as the church, we have the most amazing of callings. To, uh, to help other people to realize eternal life through knowing God. This is the same chapter in John 17 where he says, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So us being open, being transparent, letting other people into our process and letting other people enjoy the fruit of our relationship with Jesus helps other people enter into a relationship with God and know him. But that is our calling, to reveal the Son, to reveal the Father in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul the Apostle prayed in, in Ephesians chapter 1. He said, I pray that you might know what is the hope of his calling. The calling of Jesus Christ was to come into the world and make the Father known. And we've been given that same calling. We've been grafted into the calling and the mission of Jesus. Make the Father known. 
make God known through our lives, through our words, through the way we live, and by making our relationship to God accessible to other people. It's absolutely amazing. It's an amazing life we've been given. It's an awesome invitation that we have from God to live in relationship with him, powered, empowered by him. So good. So good. See, the old covenant, it was distance. It was separation. It was maybe one day I might get to God. Jesus shows up and says, no, 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 here I am. I'm going to be in you. And instead of asking things from you, I'm going to empower you. Praise Jesus. That's, that's a good way to live. That's so good. And see, I, I really do believe, and I highly recommend these chapters for your further study. I mean, there's only so much that you can do. But uh, John chapter 13 to 17, Jesus, he just lays it all out there. Concise, practical guide to Christianity, how to live it. And I'd strongly uh, encourage you to do so. And just seek the Lord. I mean, let him paint a picture. Let him paint a picture for you about what your life is meant to look like. Let Holy Spirit breathe into you a vision for life lives out of the power and person and presence of Jesus Christ inside of you. Let Holy Spirit give a picture of that to you and let that orientate your life. That's what I think he was doing that night. He was trying to give them something, give them something that they could hold on to on the inside and say, this is what God wants from a life. It's amazing. And I love that we're not orphans. Jesus said in those same verses, he says, I'm not going to leave you uh, orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to see a Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes. But we've got the Holy Spirit inside of us. Holy Spirit has come to live in the hearts of people and to make known and to make real to us the reality of the love of God and all these things that Jesus was speaking about. And honestly, that's my, my big prayer. That the Spirit of God testifying with our spirits would help us to know we are the children of God. We are completely and entirely loved by a loving Father who says yes and amen to all those promises, to all those dreams, and to everything inspired by faith inside of you. What a Father. What a God. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Amen?